This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. A big hello and welcome to all of my fellow coffee-loving friends out there. I'm really excited that you're back and joining me for another episode of the Roast and Reason podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I did an in-depth look at coffee and the coffee culture of Indonesia. I had a great time doing this, and I, I personally learned a whole hell of a lot putting that episode together and recording it. And I also heard some really great feedback from some of you guys. So I've decided that I'm going I'm going to do that fairly regularly on the podcast. So every couple podcast episodes, I'm going to do a feature look at different coffee origins, the culture of coffee in those areas, the history of coffee in those areas, and the current production of coffee in those areas. And that's just what this episode is going to be. So I hope you've got your passports ready maybe some hiking gear, maybe a bathing suit, and get ready for some surf lessons, because today we're going to Costa Rica. Not really, unfortunately, because it's currently pretty cold where I'm recording this podcast in my house in Oregon. I'd love to be going to Costa Rica and lay on the beach for a while, but we're not really going to go there, but we're going to go there on this podcast and discuss Costa Rica and Costa Rican coffee today. If you've never been to the country, Costa Rica is freaking gorgeous. From the lush mountainsides, the active volcanoes, the beaches, this this country is incredible. We visited there a couple years ago and hiked around the Arenal volcano, explored the cloud forest of Monteverde, and relaxed on the, the national park and beaches in Manuel Antonio. It's not just the country either. The Ticos, which is what the locals call themselves, are honestly some of the friendliest people in the entire world. Tourism is pretty common there. They're used to having tourists, particularly North American tourists, and they're really, really friendly people. And as I mentioned, the country is gorgeous. It's amazing. It's home to about 5% of the world's biodiversity a huge number of species of plants and birds and animals. And one of the many species of plants there is our trusty old friend, the Arabica coffee tree. So let's begin at the start of coffee growing in Costa Rica. Like much of the world, the coffee plant, even though it grows there now, is not a native plant in Costa Rica. The Arabica coffee plant originated from Ethiopia. It was introduced to Costa Rica during Spanish colonial rule in the late 1700s. This made Costa Rica the first Central American country and region to have a coffee industry. Much of Central America grows coffee nowadays. Costa Rica was the first. Coffee was first planted in the Central Valley region of Costa Rica. The Central Valley is the location of the capital city of San Jose. 
And it's also home to some really great ideal coffee growing conditions like fertile soil, high altitude, relatively cool climate. So really everything was just right to plant coffee in this area. Beginning in the 1800s, coffee production in Costa Rica actually surpassed the production of chocolate, tobacco, and sugar in importance and in revenue. So this was a really, really important crop to Costa Rica historically, and it played a huge role in the development and modernization of that country. So back in the 1800s, Costa Rica primarily exported coffee to Panama and Chile. So it at first didn't export directly to Europe, but most of it went through Chile. Chile then rebranded this Costa Rican coffee. They just literally changed the name on the bag to Café Chileno de Valparaiso. And then it would export that coffee to England. Well, the Europeans found out about this, particularly the English. So the English realized that this coffee was actually from Costa Rica. And they realized that their lives would be a whole hell of a lot easier if they cut out the middleman. And that's exactly what they did. In the 1800s, the English began working directly with the Costa Ricans. England developed a very strong interest in the Costa Rican coffee industry and invested heavily in it. They basically treated these Costa Rican coffee producers as business partners. This English partnership led to the formation of the Anglo-Costa Rican Bank, which really helped finance the explosive growth of Costa Rican coffee industry, as well as the country as a whole. The history of coffee in Costa Rica is a little different from many other places around the world. In many places, coffee production started and was really part of the colonial system, which almost invariably involved slave labor or servant labor of some sort. In this servant or slave labor system, the coffee farmers and producers really never got wealthy. They were slaves or at best they got paid a minimum wage. This really wasn't the case in Costa Rica. Costa Rica's coffee history is actually quite different. Costa Rica was in fact a colony of Spain up until 1821. But things were different there. Why? The area that is now Costa Rica actually didn't have many indigenous tribes. So guess what that meant? The Spanish settlers that came there during colonial times didn't have many people to enslave. And so the Spanish settlers actually had to do work for themselves, like their own farming, their own manual labor. That's shocking, right? Like most of colonialism... Some European settler went somewhere, enslaved the native tribes, and forced them to do work for them. Really not the case in Costa Rica. It was really the Spanish settlers that did their own work. So this set the stage for treating farmers very differently because they weren't slaves. They weren't a different ethnic group. They were, in fact, settlers just like the people that ended up in government or in power. And in fact, coffee farmers in the 1800s and 1900s were were really treated as entrepreneurs 
They gained significant wealth and prestige, and a lot of them ended up in government themselves. So Costa Rica gained independence from Spain along with the rest of Central America in 1821. Kind of the whole swath of Central America at that time was called New Spain. The country remained part of New Spain until 1838, at which, a time, at which time it gained full independence. So during this process where Costa Rica was gaining its independence, its newly formed government quickly realized how important coffee was to them and to their, uh, to their economy. At that time, coffee made up a huge percentage of the exports from Costa Rica and its revenue. On top of that, as I mentioned, some of the early coffee farmers were really successful and became very wealthy. They gained power and they became government officials. So government assistance and support has really always been a key part of the coffee industry in Costa Rica. As New Spain gained its independence in 1821, the the municipal government of Costa Rica actually gave away free coffee seeds to anybody that expressed an interest in growing coffee in that area. A few years later, they doubled down and they exempted coffee farmers from certain taxes. And then really the kicker in 1831, the government basically created a law that said, if there's unused land anywhere and you're a coffee farmer or want to be, and you plant and grow coffee on that unused land for five consecutive years, you can claim ownership of it. So really, even at, even at the start of the country of Costa Rica and the early stages of the coffee industry in Costa Rica, government played a very strong role in developing this industry. With the financial freedoms and being treated as an entrepreneur, the government support, the ideal coffee-growing conditions, the backing of European trading partners like England, and the relative stable government, coffee farmers and the coffee industry in Costa Rica flourished. Costa Rica's stability is, is pretty remarkable. Since the late te- 1800s, there have been two brief periods of instability and violence in this country. The first occurred in 1917 to 1919 when Costa Rica was under the the rule of a dictator. And the second occurred during the 44-day civil war in 1948. That's it. Only those two short periods of time, a two-year period and a 44-day period, was there really any instability and violence to speak of in Costa Rica. Think Think about that in comparison to the violence the instability, the social and government unrest, and a lot of the drug issues that have happened in the rest of Central America during the 1800s and 1900s. So really, this combination of ideal conditions for the coffee industry resulted in wealth that transformed the country. In addition, so we already talked about the Anglo Bank or the Anglo-Costa Rican Bank that the English helped the Costa Ricans set up and finance. A number of other things can be 
traced back to the coffee industry. So the Anglo Bank played a key role in the coffee industry and also in financing the growth of Costa Rica itself up until 1994. So it was formed way back in the 17 and 1800s, and it was alive and well until 1994, at which time it unfortunately declared bankruptcy because of some seriously stupid high-risk bond investments. But that bank was really played a role in several hundred years of Costa Rican's history. The coffee industry also funded the country's railroad system. One of the major hospitals in the country, San Juan de Dios Hospital in San Juan, and the National Theater of Costa Rica. Both of those are still in use today. So San Juan de Dios Hospital and the National Theater of Costa Rica are still in use The hospital is one of the most important hospitals in the country, and the National Theater is really the epicenter of the cultural building of the the capital city of San Juan. So really, many parts of this country were built by coffee. Additionally, the wealth that was created from the coffee industry paid for programs that sent native Costa Ricans to study in Europe. They became doctors and lawyers and engineers and other professionals And then they came back home and helped modernize the country. Really, all was well in the Costa Rican coffee industry for hundreds of years up until the 1970s and 1980s. Two things hit at once. So an infection, an infection of the coffee tree called coffee blight struck Costa Rica. And at the same time, global coffee prices on the global coffee market plummeted by 40 or 50 percent. The loss of revenue caused a lot of issues. The country took on a lot of debt. But really, up until that time and since, the Costa Rican coffee industry has really flourished. Modern-day Costa Rican economy is a bit different from its agricultural past. Costa Rica is currently the 13th largest producer of coffee in the world. And coffee remains crucial to the country's economy, with about 11% of the total country's revenue coming from coffee production. But the the major source of export income is actually from the technology sector. A lot of major technology and software companies have developed offices, call centers, and facilities in Costa Rica, and that's where most of its export-related income comes from. Tourism is also huge in Costa Rica now. So modern Costa Rican coffee production mostly occurs on small farms rather than large plantations. There are some large plantations, mostly in the Central Valley around San Jose, but most of the coffee production occurs on small farms. Over 90% of all coffee farmers in Costa Rica, farm less than 12 acres. One of the interesting issues of modern Costa Rican coffee production is urban sprawl. So San Jose is a big city. It has urban sprawl going on like many other major cities in the world. And the coffee farmers on the outskirts of San Jose have actually started to sell their land to urban developers. So there actually has been a noticeable decrease in coffee production 
from the Central Valley for that region. The Central Valley, while we're on that topic, is really where Costa Rican coffee got its start. Number one, it's right near the major capital city. And number two, it really has ideal growing conditions for coffee. It remains a very important growing region, but it is certainly not the only one. And I'm not going to go into a lot of different growing regions in Costa Rica in this podcast episode, because frankly, it's pretty uncommon to find coffee listed by these different growing regions right now. This may change going forward, but right now I don't think it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to dwell here and to go into some of these different regions if you're unlikely to ever see them on a bag of coffee. The one additional region I will mention is the Terrazu region. The region of Terrazu contains the highest elevation coffee farms in all of Costa Rica. This region has a long-standing reputation for quality and produces probably the best and most expensive coffees in all of Costa Rica. If you're going to see a growing region from Costa Rica on a bag of specialty coffee, it is either going to be Terrazu or Central Valley. That's my bet. So let's talk about the modern Costa Rican coffee industry and some of the changes that have happened over the past couple years. One unique thing about modern Costa Rican coffee production is Costa Rica really is very stable, very safe, and very friendly. It's one of the safest and most stable and friendliest countries in the region or in the coffee-growing world. Costa Rica has really become a popular tourist destination, especially with North Americans. Surfing, hiking, sightseeing, birding, ecotourism, all of those things draw people to Costa Rica nowadays. And so does the coffee industry. So many farms in the country, particularly the larger farms in the Central Valley near San Jose, actually offer tours of their farms. So they offer tourists the opportunity to tour the coffee plantation and really see firsthand how coffee is farmed and produced and all of the steps that go into it. So that's a kind of unique and interesting thing that many other coffee growing areas of the world don't offer. And unless you're in the coffee industry, they don't offer tours to you. Costa Rican farms do. It's not just the Terrazu region that has a great reputation. Costa Rican coffee as a whole really has enjoyed a very good reputation for good quality coffee on the global coffee market for years, for decades, for hundreds of years. And because of that, it's been able to com command a, a pretty good price on the global coffee market. Part of this historically has to do with the, the infrastructure of the coffee industry in Costa Rica. In many respects, Costa Rica was way ahead of other regions. By the early 1900s, they had over 200 wet process coffee mills. That's a ton for that time in history. 
and historically wet processed coffees. We talked about how coffees are processed back in a, in a prior episode, but wet processed is in some respects the gold standard. And historically, they, a wet processed coffee was perceived as being higher quality, which likely had to do with the decreased risk of imperfections and something going wrong and the coffee rotting or spoiling compared to other processing methods historically. Now, those methods have since gotten a whole, whole lot better, but historically, and to some respects still today, wet processed coffees tend to be the gold standard or, or viewed as being higher quality. So all of these wet mills in Costa Rica really helped Costa Rican coffee command a high price and be perceived as being very good. Historically, what happened was small farms brought their coffee to be processed at these large mills, which in, in Costa Rica were called beneficios. And the coffee would then be lumped together. So it wouldn't be kept separate from farm to farm. It would be lumped together and bagged and labeled with the mill that it came from. This meant that it was tough to find single estate single-farm Costa Rican coffees. It also meant that the coffee was blended, right? It wasn't kept single-farm, single-estate, single-cultivar or, or varietal of coffee tree. It just all got blended together. And so some of the unique flavors and characteristics of different farms or coffee trees or different terroirs, they got lost, this all changed in the late 2000s, so relatively recently, when in Costa Rica there was an explosion of micro-mills, which means many of the coffee farmers actually invested in their own small-scale mills and started doing their own processing themselves right there on their coffee farm rather than bringing them to these larger mills where everything got combined. And then all of a sudden, because of that, there was this explosion of these different coffees coming out of Costa Rica, these single estate, single farm coffees that now all of a sudden have flavors that people are not used to from Costa Rica. All of a sudden, some of these farms started showcasing their unique flavors. So the classic Costa Rican coffee is, is pretty mild. It's described as having a light body soft, acidic bite to it. It's easily drinkable. They frequently don't have overpowering flavors that you might get from an African coffee or a Sumatran coffee. And because of that, Costa Rican coffees have been, historically, have been criticized as being too mild, maybe too balanced, too clean, and frankly, a little bit boring. This was really the case when the coffees were being combined at these large mills. This is not a fair assessment or criticism of modern Costa Rican coffees ever since this micro-mill explosion and renaissance happened. There are some seriously unique, different, delicious, crazy-tasting Costa Rican coffees coming onto the market now. On top of that, so while 
these wet processing mills were one of the things that historically made Costa Rican coffees so valuable and considered really good quality on the on the global market. Not all Costa Rican coffees are being processed by the wash technique anymore. The Costa Rican producers actually were the pioneers of what's called the honey process. So honey processing of coffee is, is a hybrid method. It's a hybrid between the washed and the natural methods. We talked about this in a prior episode, but really briefly to review. So the coffee cherries are harvested and they're processed through a mill that removes the fruit that surrounds the coffee bean. Immediately after the milling process, the beans contain a surrounding mucilage layer. This is like a sugary, gelatinous type layer. In the honey process, they're dried just like that with that mucilage layer still surrounding the bean. The difference here is in the wash process, the beans are soaked in a big vat of water which removes that mucilage layer, and then they're dried. So that little difference is really all we're talking about, but it can make a huge difference in terms of flavor. Drying the beans with a small amount of mucilage still remaining can add some really unique flavors, and it typically results in a coffee that has a thicker, more full body than a washed coffee. Honey processed coffees are are frequently grouped into three distinct categories that you might see when you're shopping for Costa Rican coffee. The most common three categories you're going to find are yellow honey, red honey, and black honey. And they go in that order. And let's go through that. So yellow honey is the most subtle in flavor. It has the shortest drying time and it's dried typically under full sunlight. Red honey is processed and dried under cloud cover, typically at times of higher humidity. It has a a slightly longer drying time. It has slightly more complex and somewhat funky flavors to it. And then black honey is the furthest on that spectrum. Black honey is the most time-intensive. It has the, ho- the longest drying time. It's typically dried under tarps, so in very indirect sunlight. It has the most complex flavor, and because of all of that, it's the rarest and often the most expensive of these that you're going to find. These honey processed coffees are really just starting to hit the mainstream coffee market. But odds are you will find some from different specialty coffee roasters and different specialty coffee companies. The the best honey processed coffees that I've tried recently actually come from two of my favorite uh, specialty coffee companies. One is Evans Brothers Coffee Roasters out of Sandpoint, Idaho. And the second is Brandywine Coffee Roasters from Wilmington, Delaware. The other coffee I'll mention and recommend here, there's a really great small-scale boutique coffee roaster from Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica. They ship their coffee worldwide, so you can get it here in the States. 
It's called Cafe Milagro. I will link to a few of these coffees in the show notes on the webpage, roastandreason.com. So go check them out for yourself and order them and uh, try out some of these and, and see what I'm talking about. Um, I do have to say that literally while I was preparing this podcast, as I started to get my notes together, there was a honey processed Costa Rican coffee from Evans Brothers on their website. Literally as I finished up the notes for this episode, it's gone. And that's basically what you get and sometimes what happens with limited reserves, reserve coffees. Um, but keep your eyes peeled for uh, Evans Brothers. I know they get some Costa Rican coffees and, and some honey processed Costa Rican coffees. Um, and even if they don't have them in stock, you honestly cannot go wrong with anything these guys roast. All of their coffees that I've tried are delicious. So be sure to check out the website. I will link to the websites of Evans Brothers and Brandywine and Cafe Milagro. Um, and in, for Brandywine, I'll include uh, two different honey processed coffees. They have a red honey and a black honey. So I'll link to both of those on the website. So check those out. Try them yourself. See if you like them or if it's something that doesn't really uh, suit your fancy. I personally think they're really interesting and, and well worth trying. They're, they're pretty delicious. Um, also, if you guys haven't already done so, I would love it if you would leave a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes. I really do read them. Uh, the feedback helps me make the podcast better. And it also helps get this podcast out there to other people on iTunes because iTunes uses it uh, to determine which podcasts get listed on their different category lists. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys have an amazing week. Thank you very much for spending part of your day with me. Take care, everybody.